same old trouble villains always knocking at the door pretty pictures on the page but nothing ever stays the same the accumulated curiosity of all their entertainment and media will foam up around their brains and all the pop culture nerds and first-time listeners will look up and shout start the damn show already and i'll look down and whisper thank you vandello my name is Josh Wasta, a.k.a. Fallout Fieri, and with me, as always, is Sanity to my Rorschach. <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> and with us, as usual, the lovely and talented Miss Jennifer Holland, the Baronessa. Thank you very much, Bear. And this season, I have the distinct honor of introducing our guests. I'd like to welcome a Mr. Bobby Woolner to the show today. Thank you for being here. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for having me. It's awesome. So Bobby or Bob, I may call you either as we have a history of me using both terms. <laughs> we put out the list of season two and you were extremely excited to be here mm -hmm. for our Watchmen episode. So can you give me a little breakdown of both your history in comics and then why Watchmen? out of our list. So my history with comics, when I was a little kid, my uncle got me into reading comic books and all things geekery. He gets all credit for that. I mean, he started me off with like X-Men and stuff. And this was like right before the 90s cartoon. So I got to feel cool when that came out that I already knew who Wolverine was. And then Watchmen specifically itself. I think I used to just hang out at Barnes and Noble and just read whatever was on the shelves in there. And at some point I read Watchmen and saw how wonderful it was and, and loved it since. This is the third in Alan Moore's works that we will be doing this season for what we have dubbed the more more season. <laughs> we have already done V for Vendetta was our first and then the beginning of his run on Swamp Thing. And we're kind of finishing with the granddaddy of what people think of when they think of Alan yeah. Moore. It's not the killing joke, it is this. This being more his opus. So how long has it been since you had read Watchmen? Oh, well, so when I knew we were doing this, I did a reread, but I mean, when I initially read it was 15, 18 years ago. I don't know, when I was like 21 or something, I think. Same question for Bear and Jen. I didn't read the comic until after the movie came out, and basically once we had already started the podcast, when I knew that this was going to be something that we were thinking about, then I was like, oh, no, I need to find this thing. Just like all the others, it was huge magnum. It was this massive book, which for the most part was a really good read, although there's a tad bit of a spoiler alert, not really a spoiler alert. The excerpts from the in-character novel, in my opinion, tended to make things drag a little bit, but other than that, it was a really good read. I have read this a couple of times. The first time would have been late 90s, probably. I read it again after the movie, just because I thought that it was pretty true to the graphic novel. And I've kind of scanned through it again before today. So that's my history with Watchmen. And of Alan Moore's work, I find this the most approachable. Not League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? <laughs> <laughs> I so... find this the most approachable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do love me some League. As for me, this has probably been on my shelf since I started collecting graphic novels. I used to collect individual issues. Obviously, 
I did not have individual issues of Watchmen because I am not a millionaire. But when I started collecting graphic novels, there were a few that I absolutely had to do for when somebody came over and said, especially in my angry 20s, oh, you have comic books? Those aren't. Okay, here, here's Watchmen. Here's Mouse. A couple of things that may make you think about that in a completely different way. Watchmen being more relatable just because it deals with the whole superhero thing that, that held the stigma. And as for the comic, this will be a little different. Since we originally were going to do this for the movie and the HBO series, of which we have watched both, the HBO series goes off of the end of the comic, not the end of the movie, which we'll discuss. There is a major difference between those two. <laughs> and exactly how the HBO series nailed the landing. Like, they did really, really well to do the aftermath of what the comic book exemplified. We have some characters. If you've only just seen the show, we would highly recommend you go back and watch the movie. The movie was surprisingly really, really faithful to the comic up until the end. But there's a lot of references to a lot of people and heroes and such that do not appear in the show, but are only referenced. The whole idea of the Watchmen movie is it surrounds the death of the comedian, which he is mentioned several times in the show. Sometimes as the comedian, but mostly as just Blake. A lot of the mystery that surrounds both the graphic novel and the movie are removed from the show. So let's go around our panel and thoughts on movie, thoughts on show. Bobby? The movie Jen had kind of mentioned was actually surprisingly pretty faithful to the book. And this was also kind of like an early Zack Snyder film. I was, at least for quite a while there, an ardent Zack Snyder defender. I was like, no, 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 this guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> this movie was one of them that I based that opinion on. There was a very noteworthy change from the graphic novel, but it, it otherwise does really well. I like it a lot. I do dislike some of Zack Snyder's tendency to do his little slow-mo stuff. It's a little gratuitous sex scene in there that drew me out a little bit, but I loved it a lot. And then the show is phenomenal and is way better than it has any business being. There? As far as the movie goes, that was one of my favorites. I bought that movie not long after it came out. I thought it was amazing. The visuals, the, we're superheroes, but not quite superheroes. We don't really have superpowers. We're just kind of people that are badass people. More along the lines of a mess of Batman or mm -hmm. characters along that line. The TV series was absolutely amazing. I binged through that. We had watched the first three episodes or something like that at your place. And then the pandemic hit, of course. And then I literally binged the rest of them, I think, in one night at home. I just couldn't stop watching. It was almost an edge of the seat kind of situation. And Jen? I like the movie a lot. There were a couple of things that Bob mentioned that did kind of pull you out of the feeling of the entire movie. I thought it was really well cast. There were a lot of actors that weren't necessarily very well known. There are some names in there, but no big blockbuster actors. And I thought that they did a really good job in their selection and casting of the people in the movie. I really liked that it kind of stuck primarily to the flow of the graphic novel, which speaks a lot to how well the graphic novel was written, that it flows that well as a movie. They really were pretty faithful to it. On a scale of 1 to 10, the movie is a high 7 for me. 
but I'm a pretty picky person <laughs> when it comes to things like that. So I really felt like they did a good job with it. I've read the graphic novel a couple of times. I've seen the movie probably three or four times, which says a lot. I don't generally rewatch movies. Mm. So it's good. I like it. And the show was fantastic is fantastic. I love it. I wish that there would be more. I went into it thinking, okay, we'll give it a shot and was just completely floored. So well done. The development of the characters is done. It's just incredible that this was a TV series. It was just really well done. I like it. Pretty much the same for me. I really enjoyed the movie. I had read obviously the graphic novel beforehand was very surprised. I'm still surprised every time I watch it because for this, we just rewatched the movie last night after we had read the graphic novel again and beats of it are identical and they're even in the same order. Most of the time in a movie when you have these different separate scenes that kind of flow into each other in a graphic novel, they'll put them out of order in the movie just to keep narrative flowing or whatever. And none of that occurred in this movie. And that was really awesome to see. Alan Moore in general, the three of us have discussed him at length this season. And we like to ask our panelists that come on, our guests, (laughs) if they have any additional thoughts or history with Mr. Alan Moore. We've discussed his wizardry. We've discussed his very famous falling out with DC and how he wants nothing to do with any media adaptations of his works and Mm. mostly how he's kind of a crazy old Rasputin of a man. (laughs) Any other experience with Alan Moore specifically? For myself, yeah, I mean, I've read a pretty good amount of some of his stuff that you guys had already mentioned. I actually haven't read V for Vendetta, though, but I probably should. (laughs) But yeah, he's great. It's hard not to kind of acknowledge that he knows what he's doing. And I like my authors to be strange beard wizards that seems like the appropriate kind of person for them to be uh coming soon to a barnes and noble near you the strange (laughs) beard wizard section (laughs) yeah when you look at those guys you're like yeah i bet you that guy can write some good shit (laughs) yeah (laughs) or at least bizarre yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) during swamp thing which was our last alan moore episode i talked about how as i get older it may be harder for me to read some of Alan Moore's stuff just Mm. because the pacing, I think it's just as I get older, it's harder to go back to older graphic novels. We're now reading and next episode is our finale and that will be Dark Phoenix. The three of us are going back to the original Chris Claremont Dark Phoenix run and it's rough. It's hard (laughs) to go that far back. Yeah. Rough like 10 grit sandpaper for toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) yikes so you've mentioned bob that you've read over the years and it's been kind of part has the experience has the message has anything changed in watchmen over your life i would say so yeah i mean i i kind of agree with what you're saying there that some things don't i don't know always know i don't think i have an exact finger on what it is that i can't find myself getting back into like I used to when I was younger. I think some stuff, things like Watchmen that are very like edgy and dark, I think has more of an appeal when you're younger. And then when you're older, you just kind of, you don't find that as appealing as like, okay, I'm okay with the like the light, fluffy, goofy stuff more than I was when I was younger and wanted to be cool and pretend I'm, you know, cooler than I really am. I don't know. It's why when we're sitting down during this pandemic, we're watching John Krasinski's like (laughs) some good news instead of right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think there's certain things that 
I don't know. They, your your tastes change, change a little bit. So, but I haven't disliked Watchmen or really anything. I've reread anything else of Alan Moore's recently, so I don't know if I that would be the true for everything else. But yeah, tastes change a little bit. I think it's that edgy thing. I think that's what it is. I think that loses some of its appeal. That stark, dark look into reality when you get a little bit older. I don't know. Maybe maybe you're like, okay, I've had enough of this now. I'm I'm, I'm getting old. I know what stark, harsh life looks like. <laughs> I don't need a glimpse into it anymore. One of the minor things that we noticed, and it's kind of funny, is as we get older, our eyes aren't as good. And <laughs> all of the old comics have like the hand-drawn... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Super close together lettering. Yeah. It's no good. <laughs> Thank God for tablets where we could like super zoom in. <laughs> and readers. Yeah, <I'm- laughs> I'm especially noticing that with Claremont stuff because, man, 70s Marvel was chicken scratch. <laughs> you were going with something very much more like simple and straightforward with your, now that I'm an old man, I don't know if I can read this. My well, no, the, it's hard to turn the pages. <laughs> <laughs> the message is similar, too. I, we've talked about a lot of things that as we look into them now, they're cliches now. So the yeah. whole idea of who watches the Watchmen, the whole idea mm-hmm. of hero turning to do something for the greater good. It's old hat now, but yes. Moore was one of the first ones to do it in the graphic novel context. So it's interesting as we get older, how many other things do it. And in some cases do it a little better. Not necessarily as good as this, because this was very well done. Although now it's funny because we watch it and we're like, oh, I think he put the cyanide capsule in that guy's mouth. Like... <laughs> the movie had to bring it down to a level that it would be widely received which is where we're going to get into the ending to lay out the ending if you've watched the movie the ending is that osmandius has basically captured enough of dr manhattan's energy that he's given him into a generator that he simulates attacks all over the world to unite the world. In the comic, which if you have seen the show, this is not a spoiler because the show goes off of the comic and not off of the movie. The attack that happens is that <laughs> Ozymandias genetically engineers a alien that has psychic abilities that will throw out a psychic scream when it dies. And the effect of teleportation always kills anything organic anyway. They haven't perfected it. So he puts it into New York. Half the people die. A bunch of people go crazy. And the rest is in the Watchmen TV show, the aftermath and everything. But that's the comic book ending. In 2009, with Zack Snyder's movie, can you think of a situation in which anybody would be able to do that for a main release? There are so many parts of that that are (laughs) so comic booky. But anyway, I will pass it on to the panel. Like, do we think you can pull off the giant psychic squid ending, like, nowadays? 2009. No, I get not doing that. I get thinking that that was a bridge too far. Like, mm, that's a little too goofy. <laughs> I understood that decision. I was pretty satisfied overall with how close they stuck to the graphic novel. I go in expecting huge changes when something's put into another medium, but I kind of get that one. I didn't, I wasn't too mad about that change. I would have liked to see the giant squid instead, but I understand the decision change it. Absolutely. I think, though, that a good decision was made to end it the way they did, because the whole thrust of the comic being set in the 80s, 
having lived through it, was everyone was terrified of nuclear war happening. Mm -hmm. And using that simulation of nuclear war happening, I think was a good way to wrap it all up for the movie. Yes, a giant psychic squid falling on New York would be fabulous. But to make the movie more appealing to a broader audience that may not ever look at the graphic novel, I think they'd made the right choice to make the ending what it was. Having not read the graphic novel before I saw the movie, I just thought that that's the way that it ended and it made sense to me. Having gone back and read the graphic novel, having seen the series, I don't think that movie would have done as well. I think it would have been relegated to things along the levels of Magnolia, where you have this movie and all this stuff is happening and then at the end of the movie they dump fish on the world. You know, I don't think that movie would have done anywhere near as well if they would have just dropped the psychic squid. Now, if they would have been able to somehow fast forward and capture the scene from the flashback in the series and use that, then it might have worked. But obviously we can't time travel like that. Oh, Magnolia, two hours and 45 minutes of telling a joke for a 15-minute punchline. I love that movie. I remember when the Watch movie came out in 2009, there were a lot of people that were super upset that they changed the ending. And I kind of challenged them to say, great, explain the psychic dying (laughs) squid on New York scene in a context. Well, people should just be able to get it. No, that's that's not how movies work. That's not how the larger audience works. As I segue to people that say different things, let me ask you, is Rorschach a hero? Uh, No, I don't know. No, not really. That's tough. Is he a hero? He's a messed up guy. We really shouldn't be too excited for him. Is there a need not the one we deserve? Right. Yeah, he's kind of like that. He's not a good person. He's not a hero. I don't know. That's tough. Is a hero more like by their actions or is it their deals? Is it their conviction that makes them a hero? I don't know. My favorite thing is his... I do really like in the show what kind of comes of him and his image. I like dumping on him, what people like him to represent. I think that was great. I have to agree. Rorschach is a figure that shows what complete and utter obsession with your ideal can do to a person. It seems that Rorschach is not as interested in preserving humanity as he is rooting out what he sees as wrong. He is the embodiment of conspiracy theory. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He's justice without compassion. So. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I completely also agree with you about the reference in the TV series, how they use masks for the good guys to protect them rather than it's interesting to me that they say well the police are being attacked and so for the police to be able to protect you they have to protect themselves from you is kind of the message that it sends and i think that's really interesting an interesting reference to rorschach i love rorschach rorschach is not the kind of person that i really want protecting society (laughs) he's a lot of the embodiment of conservative idealism. I mean, and he specifically says so in the movie. He talks about degenerates and liberals and all that, you know, those his lines from the beginning of the movie. Do I think he's a hero? No. He is a vigilante. He is definitely on par with characters like the Punisher, where he goes out and does his thing and he is, like Jen said, is the embodiment of an ideal and less so about really protecting society as a whole. I brought the question up because, and I was hoping that you all would bring up 
what they did with his image in the show because it was so spot on and spoke to me so much that if you look at 25 years later, how this group of white nationalists picked him up and used him as their symbol, it's the example of, we've seen it with the Punisher and with Deadpool and with a lot of these other characters that are beloved in their violence, even to a certain level, Batman has been co-opted for hate, which is antithetical to kind of what the idea was. Now, Rorschach is a really out there example. I would put the closest person probably being the Punisher because Deadpool tends to be a little goofy, which we've discussed both during Deadpool and during the Birds of Prey episode when we talked about Harley Quinn. There is a certain amount of violence that you can get away with if you cover it with comedy. Rorschach does not do that. There is no comedy in Rorschach. Usually there's very little comedy in The Punisher as well. Before the show, Rorschach was also somebody that occasionally was co-opted. The Punisher way more often. There are a lot of funny memes and things about, ah, yes, it's my friend from high school who has the Punisher its logo and is about to tell me how white men are oppressed. Yeah, but very well done. It definitely made a statement. It made a statement that resonated with a lot of people, me included. I'd like to circle back to the whole mask thing, which I think the TV series really addressed quite well because there are different reasons that people wore masks in the TV series. Like Hooded Justice wore a mask because he found that being anonymous helped him serve what he saw as justice. I mentioned the police officers wearing masks to protect their identity and their families from retribution from whomever. And then, as you mentioned, the white nationalists using the Rorschach mask basically as a calling card, as a a clubby thing so they could identify each other as well as protect their identities. The agent, Lori, her campaign to stop vigilantes, to get people to remove their masks because of her history uh, with masked villains and heroes. I thought that was all very interesting. This is something very specifically Watchmen, though it's the theme has happened over the years. It's almost Civil War-esque. That would be probably the most popular recent version of that. <laughs> Not the comic. We're talking mm-hmm. the movie because uh, the comic's got its own problems. But the idea of who serves behind the mask and who does the mask protect is a very Watchmen thing, which goes all the way back to the original graphic novel because Rorschach, he is dangerous but he doesn't become really dangerous until they take his face. He kills people. He does some things, but you don't see him be brutal in the movies the same way until they take his mask. That's when you get frying grease to somebody's face and you have to chop people's arms off. And I mean, it's, it gets intense and he keeps that past the prison. I kind of have noticed that he is protecting other people by keeping himself behind. So it kind of asks the question of who is the real danger? Is Rorschach actually keeping the real man at bay or is the real man keeping Rorschach at bay? And the other part of it is none of these characters are reliable narrators in the comic and in the movie as well, because you're seeing it through Rorschach. The graphic novel, I will say without any spoilers, does a little bit better to explain the larger society's views on things, it has a lot more supporting characters. 
that appear in the movie, but you don't really get into them. There's the newspaper stand guy, which is a huge recurring theme in the graphic novel. And there's a kid that just goes and sits and reads the same comic series every day at his newsstand. And then it ties the comic that the kid's reading into the reflection of society because the comic is all about a pirate that is stranded on a desert island and like some other things. But the themes of it are all reflecting what's going on throughout the rest of the world. You can see how comics are a reflection of our society. It was a really cool thing to see. There are lesbian and gay characters in the graphic novel that don't appear. There are the psychiatrist that goes and sees Rorschach is a huge thing about how just being around Rorschach, how it affects his daily life and his marriage and a lot of other things. There's a lot more complete, which obviously you can't do. So that kind of brings me up to something that just popped in my head. Could you do, obviously a movie, not enough, but could you do a series now? Now that we've seen the later series, could they go back and retroactively do a series on HBO to lead into it? It would be doubtful in its execution, but I kind of had that thought when I heard about an HBO sequel to The Watchmen. I was like, no way, that's going to be good. That's a terrible idea. So maybe, I don't know, if those same creative forces came together and did it well, I guess it could be done, but I wouldn't put much faith in it. I have to agree, mainly because of the work that was done in the series to kind of go back and create the history, specifically of Hooded Justice, and how that tied into the current day cast. It could be done well. I'm not sure that I'd be there for it. It would deter from the series as it stands. I think you could go back and do certain elements of the movie. For example, the Vietnam War, or part where they were quelling riots and stuff like that. And then you see comedians jump down out of the helicopter and just start shooting citizens. Things that lead up to like that encounter. I think there are excerpts that you could take and extrapolate on and, and make into just a single season series like they did with the last one. But I don't know that you could really go through and do the whole movie as a series. I don't think it would get the appeal. The movie was really well done to encapsulate what it needs to encapsulate. And I think there were enough revelations in the new series. I hadn't thought about that, Jen. You're absolutely right. Things like what they did with Hooded Justice, which for being a hero is like a tertiary character in both the graphic novel and the movie. Like isn't even really delved into it all. He's mentioned like twice. The big part of him is interrupting the comedian's assault on Silk Spectre. That's pretty much all he does. (laughs) Yeah. And the show going way more into it is pretty interesting. I should say that there is a graphic novel that I did not find out about because it doesn't have a published media aspect to it yet. However, Kat Essman in our Birds of Prey episode alluded to it. It is called The Doomsday Clock. And apparently it is the Watchmen universe interacting with the larger DC universe. And it involved conversations between Superman and Dr. Manhattan. I would kill to see Superman versus (laughs) Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, I'm not a DC reader, so I have no idea on that. I heard about that series. I'm not a DC person, so I didn't have a particular interest in that. But I mean, I guess I'd be curious. Apparently, that's how they did their newest reboot of the DC universe. It was Dr. Manhattan. Closing thoughts. As far as the movie goes, that's a Zack Snyder film, and they tried to have him be the helm, the driving force for the uh, DC universe, and that did not go so well for them. I think no, it Zack did not. Snyder, yeah, 
I think he's got a style and a place, and I don't think it lends itself to Justice League or Superman or any of that. And I think he does much better when he's got the controlled, tight story where he doesn't have as much free reign. And the thing with Zack Snyder, I always like to say about him, he's into the same stuff as you are. Like, oh my God, this guy likes the same music and the same graphic novels as me or whatever, but he likes it for like all the wrong reasons. (laughs) So he probably is somebody who identifies with Rorschach or something. I love Watchmen. (laughs) I think it's a little telling that he was a music video director. So he did like Soul Asylum and Morrissey and a bunch of them. And then in 2004, he got Dawn of the Dead, the redo of Dawn of the Dead, which, I mean, zombie flick. But the thing that I remember about that is the choice of music in that is what made that movie fun and like a really great zombie movie. So then off of the success of that, he springboards and decides to do 300, mm-hmm. a Frank Miller comic that we mm-hmm. also have not covered on the show yet. And then off of the success of that, he gets Watchmen, which is really well done. We're very well received. So then he can do whatever he wants and he makes Sucker Punch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I love which- Sucker Punch. That was crack mad. the soundtrack was decent his soundtracks are always good like just said he clearly has good taste in music so i tried to watch that movie a year after it came out so it was on hbo or something and at that point my older son would have been 12 and so he and i sat down and we were gonna watch this movie and we got like i don't know 30 minutes into it and we both looked at each other and we're like let's go for a bike ride I think it's a lot easier to watch Sucker Punch now if you watch The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> oh, God. Because pretty much that's just, they're in that world and yeah. just dreaming of a way out. Yeah. But I really enjoyed Sucker Punch. It reminded me a lot of anything Wizard of Oz or Alice in Wonderland. That's really where the appeal was for me. I, I there think are, there was a good movie somewhere in there in Sucker Punch. Yeah. I don't think he stuck the landing exactly. Right. Well, you talk there's about some good, unnecess- there's some good ideas in there. <laughs> you talk about unnecessary sexualized scenes and things like that. But from there, he went to the helm of the DCU. So that's where Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman and Justice League came from. So now that he is no longer doing all of that, his current project that has been announced is the Fountainhead. Ann Rand? Yes. Like, I, like oh my straight, God. A straight Ann Rand. Movie. No. Uh, I'll probably pass. Well, on now that. we know why you liked Rorschach. <laughs> <laughs> There's the laugh. I was about to say, Jen, your smug grin will not come across <laughs> on audio. He's got good taste, but then when you explore exactly why he likes the things that you also like, you go, yeah, you know what? Never mind, dude. I don't want to talk to you about this graphic novel anymore. <laughs> Right. It's like being in college and you meet somebody and you're like, wow, we like the same things. That's really cool. You're really cool. Let's be friends. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That was awesome. Yeah. Okay. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like talking about how you used to listen to Kid Rock in the 90s. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That hurts a little because you and I did listen to Kid Rock in the 90s. We sure did. Ringtone on my phone is still cowboy. I kind of hate that a little bit (laughs) it's okay he doesn't pick it up and it's always on silent so that works for me (laughs) well i also never actually call him we don't ever call we facebook messenger we text and if anybody calls it's usually him and he's either drunk or he's 
in trouble. What's wrong? <laughs> exactly. That's, and that's usually how I pick up the phone. What's wrong? To be fair, it could be both. <laughs> Drunk and in trouble. I was actually entertained by a phrase that you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's being protected by the mask and who does the mask serve? Which actually kind of stuck in my head a little bit with the things that I've seen going on currently in the world with Costco absolutely demanding that anybody that comes in has to be wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. And people are rebelling against that. They're like, oh, it's against my rights. And it's like, well, you think about this. What is the mask there for? What is the mask doing? Who is mm-hmm. it helping? The mask does not protect you in the pandemic. The mask yep. does not, your mask does not protect you from anything. The disease can get through your cloth. The disease can go in your eye. It is to, in case you are a carrier, you are protecting the people that you have deemed are essential and need to serve you. We have one of those on our panel right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On our yeah. panel right now. Yeah. Work in nursing, so yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned that. I didn't uh, consider that, like drawing that little parallel of the who does the mask protect to our current situation. That's pretty good. Now I need to try to get my uh, PPE with a Rorschach design. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> just Don't be afraid. Say, I'm here to help. One of the good guys that has to be yellow. I was just about to say, please be Night Owl and not Rorschach. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think that's going to work as well on the mask, but sure. Yeah. Maybe the Dr. Manhattan symbol. There you go. Oh, yeah, the little hydrogen atom. Yeah. Bob, do you have anything you would like to plug? Do you have any other projects? <laughs> I don't have projects. Uh, I work, have kids. Those are my projects. And occasionally Please. I'll read some graphic novels in between. So. Hopefully we get you back on for season three. We'll get you a list. I can tell you what, if it ever exists and comes to being, the New Mutants movie that's been in limbo for 37 years. Yes. Um, if that ever gets made, Sign me up for that one. Okay. I'm a yep. diehard New Mutants fan. If that yeah. ever gets released, because it unfortunately was scheduled to release right when the Corona apocalypse hit. So, and right. it was already in movie limbo for two years prior to that. So, it's cursed, basically. It's it's fun being a super fan of something and watch it be completely cursed. We'll know after the finale if either of my lovely co-hosts are ever going to touch an X-Men comic again as we talk about Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> This has been Graphically Novel. Thank you for being with us. Next week will be our Dark Phoenix Season 2 finale episode, which if you listen to the TMNT episode and loved what Jen had to say about that, wait for Bear. It'll be colorful. It's probably going to get an explicit tag. This has been Graphically Novel. Thank you for listening. And take it away, Vandello.
Or 